Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Napa Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. Today's podcast is titled Hope Through Adversity, shared with experiences from your stake presidency. And now, here's your host, Lindy Bauer. All right, we're here with the Napa South Stake presidency, President Stuckey, President Keller, and President Bauer. Welcome. Glad to have you here today. Good to be here. Uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start first with, we wanted the, we'd like to know a couple of um, interesting things about you. Just introduce yourself to us, something about about you, something maybe a unique hobby or talent, but something that you, to help us get to know you a little better. We're going to start first with President Stuckey. Uh, unique about me, I'm from Beaver, Utah. That's unique. There are very few people from Beaver, Utah. <laughs> um, but a unique hobby that uh, many people may not know, I do woodworking. Um, build furniture, and uh, I find the process really therapeutic for me. So, do you have a favorite piece of furniture you built? Uh, boy, that's a good question. I, I uh, probably there's some beds that I've built for the girls that I've I've really enjoyed. There's a pie safe that I built that I I quite like. A, a pie safe. Yes. What is that? It's like a it's a shaker type piece of uh, furniture. Uh, they used to hold their pies in it. Um, oh, like okay. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful piece. I mean, it's very shaker, so but I I enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah, President Keller. Um, gosh, something about me that people don't know. Um, I used to be uh, a four foot nine. Uh, but that all went away a long time ago. No, <laughs> went through that phase. <laughs> no, I, I think that for me, um, what people may not know is I have a hard time uh, finding a passion that's outside of of just what I do with work. Um, for some reason, uh, focusing on the business is is a is a fun part for me, but. I can't seem to find something to do just to relax. I tried fly fishing for a while. I, got in, I, I even bought the gear for it, <laughs> and I have a bunch of gear that's unused in my house. I, I, uh, and you know, then I also tried doing several different like tennis or different sports that way. But uh, lately, I have gotten into a little bit of oil painting. My mom's an oil painter, and so she gave me some tips. And so I've been doing a little bit of oil painting off and on, and that's been that's that's fun. I enjoy that. Very cool. What are you painting currently? Uh, currently, I have two paintings going on. Yes. One is a rose. It's mostly done. The other is a, a portrait of my three kids probably about 10 years ago. And they're all three of them were looking out the back of our of our suburban on a Sunday noon right after Sunday afternoon right after church. So That's sweet. they're just so I'm working on that right now, too. That's sweet. I see that on your wall someday. It's going to be pretty. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Thank you. President Bauer? Well, I'm really disappointed that President Keller didn't say pickleball because what he doesn't realize is, and I'm sure people in the state do not understand, is that he is secretly mentoring me to be his pickleball <laughs> partner for, this is for, a good future, for future pickleball Glorious matches. Steak president. Yes. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Um, other than the fact that everybody knows I have amazing sister-in-laws and, uh, two of which are here. Um, I also have amazing friends and I, I really do consider President Keller and President Stuckey wonderful friends and, and wonderful mentors. Awesome. Thank you. 
All right, President Stuckey, will you give us your your vision of this podcast and why we're why we're doing this? Why are we here? Uh, it's so all started with a council. Uh, we met together as a state uh, council, talking about uh, the concerns in our stake, uh, marriage concerns, depression concerns, uh, things that uh, are troubling people in their lives. And as we were discussing it, we talked about different ideas, uh, things that we could do to help the members of the stake. One of the ideas was the podcast. And uh, we, we all felt good about the podcast in that council. In fact, the council all felt good about the podcast and we're quite excited about it. And we thought that it would be a good venue to provide hope, uh, to provide direction, guidance. Uh, we could give uh, uh, direction on uh, marriage and family relations. We could give direction on dating. We could give direction on uh, emotional self-reliance. Uh, we could give direction on a lot of different topics using this podcast. Um, uh, but uh, hopefully, in the end, it brings the stake together. Uh, in uh, in a cause that is uh, centered on Christ and the hope that's found in Him, that's that's kind of the background of it. That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. I think we all look forward to hearing from from you as our stake presidency more often. It was refreshing you now for for me, and I think I speak for a lot of people at stake to get your talks for state conference and see those and hear your words again. We haven't heard you as a whole for a long time. It was really nice to 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 read those and to, to get a feel for what you all feel for our stake as we're all in this, in, in the same community living and trying to um, move forward with faith. Um, all right, let, let's jump into one of our, our first questions for this podcast about um, hope. We're going to talk about different adversities that you've all experienced and what that's taught you and how that can relate to us today. Um, presence you can put you on the spot again you're gonna start us off first um would you share with us something sure i knew this question was coming because you prepared me thankfully uh so i could think about uh what uh what adversity affected me the most i have to as i thought about it there was a an experience i had in dental school dental school is kind of a a, a tough time there's a lot of requirements in dental school and uh, in my third year you go from academic uh, book work to uh, clinic uh, and there Oregon where I was at at school had a lot of they prided themselves on the most clinical requirements of any school in the nation uh, which is great um, but uh, it just so happened that year uh, that I got mono and it hit me hard. Uh, I had no energy, uh, and I was out for about a month. And I was trying to. Get, before that, I was I was doing pretty well on my clinical requirements, and then I hit that, and and it just knocked me for a loop. Uh, and it took me a while. It, I was out for a month, and then it took me a while to build up energy after that. So. Did you have a family at this time? Little kids too. I had a child on the way. Child. Yeah, my my wife was pregnant with our first. Um, so uh, she she helped uh, obviously the, uh, she's a wonderful nurse and she helped nurse me back uh, the best that I could. Um, finding hope through that was uh, was difficult. I, I I've thought you know I thought it, it probably felt like Peter when when he was in the water after he had walked on the water and he saw the waves 
and the really you know the only thing he had left was to reach up his hand uh, and allow the savior to pull him out because he had lost you know I'd lost a lot of faith um, and I, and I felt like at that time I I probably was at a really down point a hard time as I'm sure many people have had harder times than that but uh, for me that was a difficult time but but through the help of the savior our heavenly father his love his strength I, I was able to um, slowly worked my way back, uh, graduated on time, gratefully, um, graduated uh, well. I mean, I did well, and, and uh, I, I accredit my Heavenly Father and uh, His help through all of that. That's incredible. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. President Keller, can I ask the same question? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I have been pondering this as well. What's interesting is when we think of adversity, it usually— First things that come to mind are uh, a death of somebody close, uh, divorce, or just a terrible sickness that somebody goes through. And, and I have to say, at this point in my life, I haven't experienced that in any of my immediate family. So I had to look in more close and say, what is it that I would say is an, has been an adversity to me? Weirdly enough, much of it harkens back to my days when I was in, in dental school also. I went down to UCLA. Um, I went down uh, from, I graduated from BYU, and I went down a single man, and in living in Los Angeles with so many millions of people, I found myself often just dealing with bouts of loneliness, and not really quite sure, you know, having enough pride to think, well, this isn't, I'm not really lonely, but sensing and feeling that experience while I was down there. You drive through all these cities with all these lights and feel like, Nobody knows who you are, and you're by yourself. And I could do anything or uh, stupid, and nobody would ever know because nobody cares, you know, like in my own hometown where people would know who I am. So I found that to be a, a difficult time for me. Um, so I got married just my last year of school. And, and I still find today that those experiences and those feelings still come back when other things in life uh, approach, you know, if difficulties come. It's easy to pull back into those moments of loneliness. And and the thing is, is, so I got married when I was 27, but it's hard for me to say that and act like this is an adversity when we have like a third of, the, of our members of our stake are single, right? That's an amazing number of people who, who deal with this um, this challenge all the time. And it's a real adversity to feel like you're alone. And you may be surrounded by many people who love you, but you can still feel, if you feel anxiety or you feel some kind of depression, you're going to feel that it's just you that has it. And that makes you feel even more alone and more withdrawn. And so sometimes I, I have to, I found that for me, um, to, to help work with those, those sorts of things that will come back every once in a while is to, I always do better when I have some routines going on in my life. If it's just as simple as walking for 20 minutes while I'm listening to the scriptures or getting up and doing a few minutes of exercising downstairs or reading something or um, or journaling. And, and I'll go off and on. I'll be good with something for a while and drop off. But I find when I'm not doing those things, when I'm not caring for life, when I don't spend time caring for just the smallest things of life, that that I can I can slip back into those feelings of being alone because there's just something about having that little bit of control and then knowing okay 
Heavenly Father, we're working together on this. And uh, so for me, I think that's probably the greatest adversity, which just continues to once in a while pop in. And I wonder, why did that, that happen? So I love that finding a routine of something you love. Um, President Suki and President Bauer, is there anything you'd like to add to that, something that you would suggest a person do that might find themselves in those similar situations where they're feeling the loneliness and anxiety? I think that's very relevant for today, too. Yeah, I you know, um, I, I you know, President Kilder is always so good. I think this is I, I think that experience has really impacted him as as an ecclesiastical leader because I think I've always appreciated just how sensitive he is uh, t- to that particular issue with members of our stake. And so I guess what I would like to add to it is there is an aspect to this when we talk about hope, when we talk about when we feel lonely or we feel isolated, that recognition that other people also feel that way. And I think that that's one of the things I think we've missed lately is there is something about gathering, about mourning with those uh, that, that mourn, you know, comfort, comforting those that, that stand in need of comfort. That's part of our, our covenant. We're a covenant people, and that's part of our call. And it's interesting how the adversary does want to make us feel isolated, but that is something I think that we are particular, particularly vulnerable to right now. Um, and I think that that does come from the adversary. Um, but I hope coming out of this is the realization that that's exactly why we have this wonderful structure. We don't often talk about the, the church, you know, we talk about the church being separate from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a wonderful aspect of the structure of the church to give us that opportunity to be with those in, those individuals, not just for ourselves, but for others. Great. Thank you. Thank you. President Stuckey? Um, I, I was thinking of a specific individual, and I won't say who it is, but I, 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 I thought about uh, their situation and how important it was for them in their current circumstances to let someone else know uh, a minister, uh, a ministering sister, or somebody helped them to let them know that, hey, I'm feeling anxiety or I'm, I'm struggling right now. I, there are so many people willing to help if they just knew. And, and uh, if, if we as, as ministers uh, would, would uh, minister to those in need, then we could find that out. But uh, it is helpful to those uh, if if those that are going through anxiety or loneliness if if they could uh, reach out and just uh let somebody else know um so that they can help them great thank you yeah. thank you we're going to jump to present bauer um an adversity that you've experienced and how you've overcome that and maybe specifically with you how how that can relate to our our youth today uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I hate to share the, I mean, I, I hate, um, I don't often share this experience, um, but, um, and some people know this, this story, but, um, I lost my father when I was, I was a fairly young boy, I was 14 years old, um, he, he died in a hunting accident, and, and I was with him, it was my gun that, 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 that caused his death, and there's something, uh, and it was, it, it was a very, uh, poignant moment, I, I guess, for me in my life because it really forced me in a very real way. Well, let me put it this way. When it happened, there was an immense and, a, and an immediate 
sense of being alone. Um, and it forced me in a very, very real way and, and within a matter of minutes. Um, and I'll never forget holding <clears throat> my father's lifeless body in my arms and saying a prayer um, and and asking Heavenly Father to just confirm to me that, that I would be okay. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure that everybody has experienced um, in some shape, way, shape, or form had the experience where they just needed to know for themselves uh, that, that that God was there, uh, that they that they had a heavenly Father that still cared about them regardless of their circumstance, and for me the hope that, that that you know we always talk about testimonies and we talk about well you know why why do we need to know that God lives? Well, <laughs> as a fourteen year old boy, I needed to know, I had to know. Um, and we talk about, well, wh you know, why, why do you need to know that, that, that Jesus is the Christ? Well, many of us find ourselves in situations where we've sinned, where we've made mistakes, and we want, we desire to be clean. We desire to be able to be free of the burdens, the shackles that come from sin. And we have to know that Jesus is the Christ. And so for me, the wonderful thing about this life is that I, you know, maybe we have a, a poignant, uh, difficult circumstance that, that forces us to our knees. But I, I believe that life is just that way in general. I, I don't think life was meant to be easy and, and wonderful. I, I, I really truly believe that it was meant to push us towards a loving Heavenly Father that has a plan for us, to, ironically enough, to be happy and to find happiness. So for me, I guess that's kind of the experience that, that, that I would share and, and, and really the reality that whether you have a poignant experience or whether it's something that's maybe a little bit more drawn out, that we ask ourselves the question of, of why. Why do we need to know <laughs> um, those, those simple truths that really define us um, as a religion and, and define who we are as individuals um, living in a world that is less than perfect. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, yes, President Keller. President Bauer, I mean, and you you made the mention about how the some that life is just hard in so many ways. It I would we talk about our scripture, the Book of Mormon. And we want to read that to just tell us a whole bunch of good stories to feel good about ourselves. But the reality of that book is it is a tragedy over and over again. You have two prophets, Alma and, and Amulek, who go to Ammonihah, and they preach, and the results of their preaching are watching women and children get burned. I mean, that's, that's the most horrific story that you could ever experience. And they have to watch this. And they're, and, and they're going to be thinking, what just happened? We came to preach as God told us to, and this is the result. And then you've got war after war of people dying and being killed. And, and the whole, it, is, it just goes on and on. It's a book that is a tragedy over and over. To, I, and I don't know why. I think it's to show us that, that, yes, it is just plain hard. But the thread through it all is we are here, like you said earlier, to mourn with those that mourn. That covenant is so poignant early on in the Book of Mormon. 
and to remind us that that we we will we will still prosper if we keep the commandments. The over and over again, you'll prosper. You won't stay away from my side, but it's it's just going to be hard. It's that we want the Book of Mormon to be something else, but sometimes it is just plain that a, a story of of hard hard things. Yeah, because we know that the promise for being obedient and keeping and, and, and following the example of Jesus Christ in this life is we know that the promise is peace, which is so ironic, isn't it? Because I agree with everything President Keller said, right? We live in a world that is so not peaceful, yet the promise is peace. And as tragic as the Book of Mormon is, oddly enough, <laughs> or maybe, you know, perfectly enough, it does bring peace because it gives us the answer for that world. I appreciate President Keller's comments. I just have thought it, it makes me mourn with those people. I mourn with those who mourn, right? And and in, the, in return, I get to feel what it's like to have God's Spirit comfort me as I'm mourning with them. So, yeah. it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, President Stuckey, you and your your talk that you sent out to all of us. Um, <laughs> You talked about your backpacking trip. Yes. And my first question is, you talked about fishing. Did you catch any? No. <laughs> None. Oh, Zero. <laughs> so I, I, I have to tell you, when President Bauer says this lake, the fishing, the, the fishing is fantastic, that you, you have to take that from a fisherman. President Bauer, wherever he goes, the fishing is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So... When we went up there, I was expecting a fantastic fishing trip, and I did get a couple of bites, but I didn't pick, bring any fish in. No. Maybe you you have, to, have to understand, I, I am completely jinxed in terms of being able to, to help President Stuckey catch fish. There was one time. Have never, I, I cannot, I cannot, I, I, I cannot do it right. There was one time I, that he did not go with me on a fishing trip. Uh, and he caught tons of fish. And he said, I bequeath my karma, <laughs> and he bequeathed it to me, and I caught all kinds of fish that day. Camus Reservoir. But he, he has not bequeathed that karma to me since then, and I haven't <laughs> caught a fish since, so. Took it back. Yeah. <laughs> Will you leave us um, with uh, a vision of, of your hope for us as we um, continue to move on? In yeah, life? my my hope right now the world is uh, in uh, there is so much contention and contention is is uh, a tool of the adversary. One of the things that I think would would benefit all of us is to learn how to counsel together. Uh, we learn it first in the family. Um, learn that uh, that we're not always right. That our opinion is not always right. That just because we think something, it's not it's not right. Right. Uh, that we listen to one another. Uh, that we hear one another. Um, that we come together uh, in uh, in a, a body to to find solutions that are good for the body, as opposed to the one. Um, I, I hope that that we learn to counsel and, and specifically first in the family council and counseling together. When children are left out of a council, uh, then it's not a family council. If if the children's opinions are not heard, then it's not a family council. It has to be a council where all opinions have equal voice. Heavenly Father is speaking to all through a voice, and if their voice is heard, um, then then there can be uh, unity in, in a decision that's made. 
I, I think the world could really use the council system. Uh, the government could definitely use the council system, um, but uh, unfortunately, it's not uh, it's not working right now. The other thing, we have a prophet of God who directs us and guides us. We have prophets, seers, and revelators that give us direction. Um, they've seen the path. Uh, you mentioned that talk. I um, I, I, I referenced uh, um, prophets uh, being able to see because they've been down the road or have seen the road, and they know the road that's easier, that's going to be the way of peace. Even though you're still going to have adversity, you're still going to have hard times, it's going to be a lot easier. You're going to have strength. You're going to have hope. You're going to have peace as you go through that adversity if you follow these commandments, if you do this. Um, then you'll have that peace, and um, I, I, I would, I would encourage everyone to, uh, to listen to what the prophet is saying, listen to what he's not saying, um, and follow the direction that that he gives us. Um, as we do that, then then we'll be able to find our way through this adversity, and not not just this one, but the next bump, and the next bump after that, and and uh, we'll be able to to find our way through it, and still have hope. And still find peace, and and still come together in unity uh, with those that are believing around us. Great, thank you, yeah. thank you. Next time we meet for a podcast, we're going to be interviewing your wives. Is there anything we should be worried about? <laughs> Guess not. We're looking forward to it. <laughs> I I think it'll be wonderful. We do too. Yes. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, thank you for being with us today. We sure appreciate you and all you do. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. We look forward to the next time when President Keller will interview the wives of the stake presidency. As always, thank you and may the Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. Our hosts are the amazing overseer Kim Keller and lovely Lindy Bauer. President Keller's right arm is our project director and podcast announcer, Casey Maddox. Our front line is the ever-ready Rachel Bauer to direct the site recording. A big thanks to Michelle Lundgren, who is the backbone project manager for us and keeps us all together. Our contact man to coordinate communications clearly is John Freeman. Our technical life is given by Jesus Gomez, the key grip and podcast editor, and Don Ricker, the digital platform manager. Not to mention, they both provide plenty of behind-the-scenes good humor for our happiness. to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa-Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Kim Keller. Well, welcome to the One Heart, One Mind Nampa podcast. This is a podcast that the Nampa South Stake and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has started. Uh, actually, in response to the whole COVID virus situation, we have felt that the members of our stake haven't had a chance to congregate very much. To We don't have stake conferences or ward conferences. We, we're not hearing the stories of the members, and the members aren't hearing the stories from each other. And it's a time we think that we'd like to help inject some, some hope and some positivity. So we thought we'd try a podcast and see how that works. So tonight is our second podcast, and we are 
grateful and thankful to have three marvelous sisters here with us tonight. They are the spouses of the members of the state presidency. We've got uh, Sister Diana Stuckey, Sister Shree Keller, and Sister Caroline Bauer. And welcome all three of you. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad to have you. So what we want to do is ask you some questions, kind of get to know you a little bit, hear some of your stories. So let's just jump right into it. Sister Stuckey, I'm looking at you. <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. What, uh, what's, wh- how can we get to know you a little bit better? And maybe you tell us a thing or two we don't know about you. Okay. Well, I am an introvert. And so public speaking and being in front of people is, is pretty hard for me. So um, actually this, um, I don't know, being home by myself and, and this COVID thing has worked great for me. Um, but because I like to cook, I like to sew, I like to garden, I like to, to do things at home. And so it, anyway, I, I like to do that. But I did start learning how to golf this year. Keith needed a, a golf partner because our kids have all left home. And so he thought I would enjoy that. So I'm enjoying it. Are you having a good time with that? Yeah, I think it'll be good. Just straight. Just hit them straight. That's all that matters. I know. That's yeah. I. That's what I do. I, I have to totally concentrate. I stand there and go, okay, straight arm, straight arm, straight arm, straight arm. And and it goes straight if I just keep my, my arm straight. Are you highly competitive? Because that uh, can make it a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Okay, yeah, I am. I am <laughs> kind of competitive. But in this beginning learning stages, I'm, I'm not keeping score. I just, I'm trying to hit the ball. I have heard great story. You were part of a bakery or something, like that, if I remember, right? You Did you cook in a, in a, a, a bakery? Yeah, I did. I worked in bakeries. So that's why your cakes are legendary around the, around the steak. I do. I do like making cakes, yeah. Do you ever put pies in, what's it called, a pie safe? What was it called that President Stuckey had? What, what, I do us? have a pie safe, but it has um, office supplies in it. Okay. So <laughs> it's more of a cabinet. Nice. It, it, it just... It ended up in a different room than the kitchen, so it doesn't have pies in it. But. We had, none of us had heard of it. He was—he told us about it last week. He made a pie, pie, what's pie it? a pie safe. He made a pie safe. So yeah. we didn't know what that was, but we learned last last yeah. podcast. Wonderful. Thank you, Sister Keller. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Well, um, Sister Stuckey, I'm a lot like you. I'm also an introvert, and. So I'm very comfortable being home alone and and having a quiet house. And sometimes people don't necessarily think that about me when they get to know me. That maybe surprises people. Um, But I am an introvert. I'm I'm comfortable being alone. And then you add that to the fact that I tend to put more on my plate than I can chew. So I'm often very frantic. I'm always in a hurry. And uh, so sometimes I can give people an interesting (laughs) impression. But... uh, I do like people. I like talking to people one-on-one. That's probably how I'm most comfortable, is more in a one-on-one setting than, than in a big group. Um, something unique about me is that uh, I, I really just can't seem to get enough of school. And so I'm in school right now, and it was intended to be online. So I'm in online school just like my children. Um, but for me, that's kind of business as usual. That was you know planning to be online. Um, I think it's interesting that in May... You were finishing up your MBA, so you were online. I was online. Preston and Macy Lynn came home from BYU, and they were online, and the Shepherd went to online. So literally in the month of May, all five of us were doing online school. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So what, what are you studying? I mean, what's, what's, the, what's your – well, I mean, what was 
what did you study before and what are you studying now? Are they similar or are they sure. different? No, they're not really the same. I mean, I went to BYU and got a degree in electrical engineering, uh, worked in aerospace, and then that led me to becoming a teacher, which I, I think I found my, you know, sometimes we, when we're later in life, we kind of figure out what we're really good at or maybe what we were intended to do. And uh, I found later in life that I was intended, you know, my job was to be a teacher. And so I became a physics teacher and taught at Skyview High School. Um, and now I work in higher ed. I work for BYU-Idaho. I help mentor student teachers. And my education is I'm working on a PhD in educational leadership. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Sister Bauer. Hello. Hey. Tell us what. Tell us something about you. You you have a you have an athletic shirt on right now. What's that shirt say? Oh yeah, that's the club that I run, and it's called Idaho Crush. It's a volleyball club. So. Do you know anything yeah. about volleyball? Yeah, yeah. So I've coached over twenty years. Yeah. So I've coached a long time, and I played back in the day. Danny and I both played at BYU. So. I got to tell you, there was one day I was watching BYU TV about ten years ago. And they, it was back before they had all these new shows that they're making. And it was an old volleyball game. And at the bottom, it said, like, whack championship game or something like that. And I saw you. I think I saw you, like, the winning point or something like that. Am I right? Do I remember yeah, saying that? Yeah, we were, BYU was playing Hawaii. Okay. Yeah, and it was an epic match. It was, it was back in the day when they did not have rally scoring. So every point, I mean, and we, I think that match, we ended up, it was one of the longest matches in history of volleyball I went over four and a half hours and they rerun that and show that every yeah. single I think every month maybe wow. sister Keller you could you could tell me because she she's very good at the BYU well, well I was just going to say they don't have a lot of content right now so they yeah. are showing a lot of reruns <laughs> yeah but I'm sure they show that one <laughs> over and over well I remember watching it because it was that old block letters you know not the nice digital oh, stuff yeah. there's those block letters and it had Caroline Bauer you know and so it was yeah. awesome I thought I know that yeah. person yeah good good yeah. Tell us more. Tell us a little about Um, I would say the thing about me that most people know about me is that I have seven daughters. I would say it's the most, I would say that's the thing that makes me the proudest. Make I just feel like that's my identity and who I am because I'm just so proud of them. And I just really focus on them. It just makes me so happy. So anything about my daughters, I just immerse myself completely in. Um, and I would say something unique about me would be the fact that I love outdoors. I love, I joke with Danny all the time because I'm like, I would rather be outdoor mucking my horse stalls any day than cleaning a toilet. And he's like, okay, let's do that. So I just love being outside. I love my animals. I love just working out there. I love hunting. I love fishing. I love just being in nature. I just love it. Cool. So, yeah. That is great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Man. Yeah. for something uh -oh. so I would just like to say that I have tasted uh, Diana's cook baking and it's amazing and I did have the opportunity to watch Caroline's daughters play volleyball at BYU and they were amazing and thank, thanks to Caroline I got to meet one of my heroes because I watch BYU Sports Nation every single day I just love I bleed blue and thanks to Caroline and being there, um, one of my heroes was calling the game, and I was officially deemed uh, an, an elite fan. 
So thank you for that opportunity to be there awesome. <laughs> to get that title. That's I, I can tell you this too. It, so uh, at our house, uh, at Christmas time, you get all these baked goods that come. And as they come, Shri doesn't want to eat them all. So she just throws this one's on, this one's gone. I go, this is Stuki's. We're keeping this one. <laughs> so, so nice. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Good. Well, let me have, ask some, some more questions. Let's go a little bit deeper on some things. Uh, Sister Stuki. If you were to look at uh, now versus uh, six, well, six months ago, right, when we, before the whole COVID virus came along, how are things better and how are things more difficult uh, for you and your family the last six months? Okay, I think better, I think we've slowed down just a little bit um, because I guess because we had to. We had to stay home for a while. I mean, Keith was off work for about six weeks, and um, the kids kind of came home from school a, a little bit more. I, you know, Abraham came home, then Emma came home. We just we slowed down a little bit, and I think that kind of helped us refocus a little bit, maybe a little bit more time for reflection, um, more time for family councils um, about... I, I think we had a lot more conversations about what's really important and how to prioritize our time and um, to really kind of take it take a look at what's going on and say okay how are we how are we viewing this are we viewing this in in a fearful way I mean, we just had a lot more open conversations about things um, maybe that that wouldn't have come up if we didn't have a major crisis that that is was affecting the world you know it's fascinating I I'm always like, when the kids get old enough, I says, please go to school. Just go. It's time for you to be gone and do your thing. But that moment when they all came back, I know personally, I don't know if it's just this unknown fear, but there is a comfort of all of us being together in the home, which, which usually I'm like, it's time for you guys to move on. But I felt a very different feeling for my family this time when, when, when the COVID virus started. So. Yeah, I think we felt that too. Have any, what, what's been harder for you? What, what has been some more difficult things, would you say? Okay, I'm, I'm claustrophobic, so the mask thing is really an issue for me. It is really hard for me to wear them for a long time. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I'm finding troubling is um, when you go to the store and people are sad and, and they don't talk to each other and they don't look at each other. I, I'm just finding that kind of... Um, distance and isolation from people troubling. Um, I mean, I think not directly related to me, but just in general, I think there's there's this feeling of um, hopelessness and fear that kind of per pervades anywhere you go. And I think that's tr it's troubling to me that people are are feeling that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's. And, and, you know, that's kind of our challenge, too, as members of the gospel, people who follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we take that knowledge and that experience to help bring hope and, and some, some joy to people around us when we see that? That's a, that's a challenge. Yeah. Um, so dealing with those things and in the stake, you are front row to the stake president, right? And so he, he's day. the one trying. Yeah, you do see him every day. He is the one who has uh, the keys and quite a burden to try to think about when we look at people in their in their loneliness or in their frustrations or in their uh, in, when there's strife between people. Um, how have you seen changes in his leadership or how he how he's approaching things in the stake? I think um, as I was, I 
I think that he's basically the same. I haven't seen a big shift in, in, in him as a person, but I, I have seen an intensification in his focus on moving forward without fear and um, just taking, taking our cues from the prophet and the general authorities. I mean, they're moving forward. They're, they're, there isn't anything that needs to hold us back. And, and so he's feeling an urgency about trying to help people see that we don't have to be afraid that that feeling doesn't come from our heavenly father and and if we'll focus on on the savior and his his leadership and his plan and his direction and lean on him then we can move forward even with an uncertain direction we can move forward without fear even not knowing what's what's going to happen next month or next week or two two years from now you know, I, um, you and President Stuckey uh, spent a lot of time in the temple. I've been to the temple before and, and seen you even folding clothes back in the laundry. I mean, so you do extra time. Uh, <laughs> tell us how it's been, though, with the temple closed. How has that been for you and, and him? And then what do you do to refill that, that spiritual, uh, spiritual bucket that maybe has been harder to refill without the temple? Yeah, we have missed the temple. That is, um, we started going to the temple regularly when we were dating. We just went every week. Um, that was our Friday night date when we were dating because it was free. And, you know, we were in school, didn't have any money, and so um, it's been it's been a, a very important part of our our lives. And so this has been a long six months um, without being able to go, but we have talked a lot and, and Abraham was preparing to go to the temple and was supposed to go right when the, the temples closed. And so, um, he was home. And so we were able to, um, do some temple preparation with him, which I think helped fill in some of, some of the, um, the missing of being there. Um, and we were able to talk to him about covenants and that our temple covenants, um, give us protection and power and and strength regardless of whether we are there or not and so just because we couldn't be there doesn't mean we can't draw on that same power and that same strength because we've made covenants and so um we were able to talk to him about that um as a temple worker i did get emails from the temple presidency every week and they had some really great quotes that they would share um about the temple from prophets and those were we're encouraging and uplifting as well but just I think but just remembering that our, our temple covenants are ours and that power is there whether we're able to go or not uh, yeah, good reminder good reminder. we are being a covenant people is is a powerful thing that always draws us back to Heavenly Father and to get those promises huh yeah that's wonderful thank you thanks uh, I'm going to move over to Sister Keller a little bit here. So, yeah, it was previously mentioned in the podcast that, uh, so if they haven't figured out by now, uh, the person who's doing the interviewing is, uh, is, is your husband. Right. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. So I mentioned last time that, that we got married um, uh, my last year of dental school, so my basically the eighth year of school. Tell us, tell us how, uh, how, how we met. Sure. I, I have to say, I'm happy to tell the story. I have to say it's a little bit awkward having you ask the question since you know the answer. How about if I give my version and then you give your version? How I, does that sound? I might edit. So, okay. So, <laughs> so just to give some context um, for uh, where we met, we both went to BYU. Um, 
overlapped there but didn't meet at BYU. And we ended up meeting in Los Angeles while you were at dental school and I was working as an engineer after graduating from BYU. And um, from what I remember, uh, we both went to a, um, was it a fireside or a, a would you call it a fireside? It's just, it was in the morning. So that's why I I wouldn't hesitate to call it a fireside. But um, President Hinckley, who at the time was not profit, but was in the uh, first presidency, uh, came down to USC's institute to conduct a fireside for uh, single young adults. And I uh, was invited by a friend, uh, because I lived in Orange County, but I was invited by a friend to go attend that. And uh, you were there as well. And I remember when it was over, walking down the the aisle to to leave, to go to the exit, I literally bumped into you. And uh, you said, hey, I remember you. Your name's Cherie Keller. You knew things about me. Cherie Keller, yes. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yes, I was Cherie Swenson (laughs) at that time. almost forgot um that's right but you knew my name you knew what I what my job was you knew where I lived so I was a little taken aback because I wasn't sure and and I said oh yeah I remember you which I really wasn't exactly sure but um but from that time on you you were able to get because back in those days we didn't have smartphones so we had to get a phone number by getting it from somebody or looking it up in the phone book. And <laughs> so you got my phone number from um, someone you knew that lived in my ward and called me and, and we started dating. And we, we got married. It was almost exactly a year after we started dating. Yes. So would you like to edit the story? That's pretty close. That's pretty close. I I, I fear it makes me look like a stalker. So yep. let's... Uh, <laughs> Let's rewind a little bit. Uh, So we actually did meet before that. We met at some uh, party in Torrance where a bunch of uh, uh, students uh, from UCLA, USC, or just whoever they knew were there. It was somebody had an apartment complex with a strange rec room. And I remember being there. And you come bouncing in with one of your friends. And I said, hey, what's your name? I thought she's pretty cute. And she says, uh, tells me her name. And I remembered the name. And I remember what she studied. So I remembered both of those things. And then you just bounced out. So I think I was just one stop on your bouncing that day. And so that's why you did not remember me. So, But when I saw you, I was like, I, 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 went, I could tell. My great powers of perception could tell right away you had no clue who I was, even though I told you that I did that before. <laughs> well, so. in your defense, I was the, the new kid on the block there. You knew everyone at the party already, and I didn't know anybody. Nice. So everybody was new to me, and so I probably stuck out. But, yes, it was a year after that initial meeting that I recall um, meeting you at the fireside. It was great for both of us mm-hmm. every time. Either way you look yeah, at it. It was just wonderful. <laughs> so here's some things that, of course, I know this about you, and many know this about you, because even though you are introverted, you spend a lot of time uh, training, exercising. And uh, what is it that you're training and exercising for? What are you doing? What, what's what's up? Oh, you know, that's funny. I, I get that question a lot, and I don't always have a good answer. I I just know that that's – that, um, the physical fitness, I think physical fitness is something that I discovered a little later in life, probably around 35 or 40. I started exercising and just found that it was a really good way for me to stay emotionally balanced in life. And it's how I 
deal with stress. Um, it makes me happy. It makes me feel strong. And so that can be a lot of different things. I mean, I started off just running and ran a few marathons and uh, then had an injury. And then I, um, you know, something, here's something unique about me is that I grew up not knowing how to swim, just being terrified of, of the water. And um, after a foot injury, I decided in, when I was 45, I decided to learn how to swim. And I've been taking swim lessons ever since. And so during those years, I started doing triathlons and uh, did a half Ironman. Um, let's see, I guess it was about a year ago. Um, so it just depends what I'm doing at the time. It may be a race. Most races have been canceled this year. So there really haven't been an event to really train for specifically. But, you know, you'd have to kind of do it virtually. But even if I'm not training for an event, I just still go out and pretend like I am training for an event. So I do arrange my life around that. Did the whole COVID virus and shutdown of gyms, did that affect you? I mean, what did you find yourself struggling to, to keep up with that, or did you have to uh, modify in some ways? So it's interesting to think about that question because I think the broader question, the thing that's really relevant to that is how do we respond when we have barriers to things that we want to accomplish? So say, for example... Yes, I maybe needed to go to the gym to lift weights or to use the pool to practice my swimming. And now all of a sudden the rec center is closed. Okay, that becomes a barrier. And what I observed through this COVID experience, at least as it relates to exercise, but I think we can broaden that to other contexts as well. But as it relates to exercise, I found people saying, oh, well, the gym's closed. And they just went home and watched TV and, you know, and ate potato chips and, and, and I, I, it was almost as if it was an, it became an excuse um, to yeah, not do something. Well, yeah. well for me. So, <laughs> it it yeah. became an excuse to not do something. It was almost like they were um, relieved to have this barrier put in place because it created a reason to not have to go do something. Um, it, it, because exercise is so important to me, that did not become a barrier for me. Um, I just decided, okay, well, I can't go to the, the swim right now. And it was too cold to swim outside at the time. It was March. So I decided, okay, I haven't done a marathon for a few years. I'll start training for a marathon. And I probably upped my mileage too fast and ended up breaking my foot about two months into training. So that you could say, well, there's another barrier, right? Like you could say, well, I guess I broke my foot. I guess I can go watch the news like everybody else now. But if you're really motivated and if there's something that's really important to you, there really isn't there aren't any barriers to accomplishing it. And and I think the question becomes, what can I do? And and I've tried to approach everything in that context when barriers pop up. What can I do? Even if I have to ask the doctor, what can I do? And they said, You can bike, you can swim, you can lift weights, you cannot run. And it was hard. It really hurt because I had a goal to do a marathon this year. But, but I have found joy in um, doing other things that still help me fit the, the ultimate goal. Now, I bring up the idea, this idea of barriers because it's really easy for me to sit here and say, oh, well, I'm someone who doesn't, you know, get, uh, get defeated by barriers. I find a way around them. Well, that really depends on the context, right? So in that context, there is nothing that's going to stop me from accomplishing that goal, even if I have to run around my house or do jumping jacks in my garage. There's, I will find something to do. 
But I was thinking about what Sister Stuckey said about the temple and how she is used to going to the temple every week. And, you know, you hear in church and in testimony meetings, people say, every time I go to the temple or try to go to the temple, I have all these barriers. You know, I get a flat tire or something happens with the sitter or the dog, I mean, whatever. And they say how they have to overcome all these barriers. Well, I am someone that in that context, I'm going to be like the guy on the couch. And I'm going to say, oh, well, I can't go to the temple because I have a flat tire. You know, I'm not going to get on my bike and ride there, but I will get on my bike and ride 50 miles for exercise, right? So I think the the question becomes, what are the things in our lives that we're allowing barriers to prevent progress? And we all have them. And we all have those things that we're motivated in. We have those things that we're not motivated in. But we can ask ourselves in any context, what can I do? Right. That's great. I uh, I was thinking as you were talking, I was reading about this this ex-Marine. He talks about how, how, how no matter what you got, if you have a broken arm, then you exercise the other arm until it's healed. If you can, you know, it's like, you know, do something every day. And, and I would think in a spiritual context, too, you talk about the temple and the barriers or whether it's scriptures. It's so much the same thing. It's like it, no matter what your barrier or problem or issue is, if you could just begin with something and say, I'm doing that, even if it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be, I'm going to do something about that. And, and that can be a real motivator for hope and to feel like I've accomplished something today. And sometimes it's just getting up off the couch, even metaphorically, and saying, I'm going to go do the next step of something. And uh, in this time, I think it's important to think that way. It's interesting you bring up that example. I didn't know about what you had heard from the Marine, but there's actually a lot of research in exercise research that says that, for instance, if you have a broken arm, if you exercise the other arm, then the broken one will heal faster. And so perhaps that's an analogy to if we can find what our strengths are um, and use them, that will help us overcome our weaknesses. Perfect. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Sister Bauer, some questions for you. That was awesome, Sister Keller. (laughs) I'm like motivated. Let's go to the gym, everyone. Let's go. It's open now. So wrap this up. (laughs) So you, I'm going to chuckle because Sheree, her whole thing is she'll do anything that doesn't involve a ball, right? It's like she she does, she'll do anything that's an individual sport where there's no ball because she'll she'll claim the coordination is just not there. But you, we just talked earlier, you, so tell us about you and volleyball, because that's a main part of your life and your girl's life. And what happened with you guys when the COVID virus kind of stopped accessibility to gyms and that kind of thing? Yeah, it was, as as of everyone, I mean, it affected our, our life, our family life, but it affected so many lives. It was interesting because I got to watch it firsthand. So to give you a little background, so my, the club that I run, I have over, I have close to 300 girls and their age ranges from about eight years old, seven to eight, you know, all the way up to 18 years old. And so, um, and these kids, it's these young girls, it was, it, for me personally, when it stopped, it happened in March, you know, when kind of everything kind of happened. And that's right when club season for volleyball is booming and it's just happening. And so we're traveling a lot and we're competing a lot. And we were just kind of in the midst of just things just flourishing. So it was so much fun. And then it just stopped. 
And for me personally, it was kind of fun because I got to take a step back and have my weekends available and spend time with the family, which was just amazing for me personally. But to see it affect the girls was honestly heartbreaking for me. And um, I got to see it affect not only from maybe from a mental illness side standpoint, but I got to see it when I'm talking about depression and I got to see it truly affect them, um, on a personal level. And it was, it's it was really, really hard for me. Um, and these are great girls. I had some of my older girls that it affected recruiting. So they lost the opportunity. Those that were seniors lost an opportunity to go to college, um, or it stalled it. So there was a lot of stress there. Um, and then, you know, and just the bonding with your, your, the team and that those friendships they lost, um, and just the exercising that those girls got, um, it just, it was, it was really hard to watch it. So, f- f- you know, it was, it was twofold. It was nice for me, you know, just to kind of take a step back cause I'm gone a lot. Um, so it was really nice, but at the same time it was really hard. So. And things are perking up now though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really is. It's great. It high schools, as we all know, have, been <laughs> it's a little interesting trying to even get a foot in the door in a high school. Um, but so we don't really rely heavily on high schools. Um, thank heavens. There's this beautiful gym called metal. Um, and we have been able to run camps and clinics and just anything we could do for these kids. Um, my club season, it hasn't even started, but what's been really cool about that facility is it's provided these kids an opportunity to get in the gym and not have to rely on high schools. And so, but it's been awesome. And to see those kids perk up and be grateful for the fact a, a, sim, a simple drill to them where I'm just tossing balls and they're hitting balls, they would take that for granted. And now they're so appreciative and grateful just to even put a foot in the door in a gym. And it's been really cool. So that's been neat to see. Do you have suggestions for kids out there who maybe they're not real talented at playing a sport, but, but you know, as parents, maybe we're really fearful that they're just not getting much activity what what do you see the benefits of activity and what can we do to just to help encourage either our kids or our our friends kids or what what are some any I mean just some thoughts you got there yeah I I'm just like Shree like I love I want our kids to be physical you know like whatever that is be physical whatever you do so go out if you're out outdoors so you know like go give 100% to if, if you're riding a horse, go have fun with that. Be outdoors, go have fun. But if it's, if it's, if it's inter- pertaining to sports, I just, I just am so, such a believer in those kids getting their endorphins kicking in and feeling that sense of accomplishment, working through failure and understanding success. And, and I do know that there's so many programs out there. They do not have to play, be a high level D1 athlete in order to go and find that success or, um, I just know that there's leagues and there's so many things that these kids can do and that parents can put their kids, get them involved in, whether it's just swimming or um, go out for a bike, but go and just get get active in it and immerse yourself in that. But You know, as you were talking, I just had this thought. You ta- you said something about, about uh, just get that body moving. And it is fascinating that God gives us what he calls the soul, which is spirit and body together. And if we aren't really in contact with that body. If we don't know what it can do, 
we're missing out, aren't we? I mean, whether it's being coordinated in a way that you can play athletics or you can do a, a lifetime sport or or just know that you can move it around and get the blood moving to, to give you the ability to, to think a little straighter and to feel confidence. And well, I got this body that does things, you know. So important to use it to do that maximum. So that's thank you for, for those thoughts. Now, yeah. uh, how about just at home? Let's just take athletics out of it for a minute and say at home, the how has the virus, uh, this, this pandemic, this, this whole shutdown, how has that affected your children at home and your family life over the last six months? Well, it's been really fun, actually. I, I, it was fun because I was able to get those two college girls back home. How fun was that? So my family was complete. Um, and we were doing the projects around the house, in the house, that would never have been accomplished, ever. We would never have touched, you know, doing certain things. And just, the again, the simplicity of um, a normal life, you know, like what we call normal, I think we were able to bring time and slow it a little bit. And I think that was just so much fun to have in our home. Um, but I would say one of the coolest things was just the fact that, you know, and this may be lead into one of the questions that maybe you have down there, our next question, but I just think the coolest thing was to have church in our home. And I think for Sunday, that was really neat for us because we, you know, I think, we get kind of caught up in hurrying and scrambling to get to church and we lose again lose the value of the ownership that i was able to see my daughters have so when they woke up in the morning they were able to take that leadership and bring the spirituality in the home and it was placed on them they were responsible for doing that and it wasn't relying on someone else or someone was you know, um, in charge of a talk on Sunday or whatever it was, they were in charge of bringing that spirituality into the home, the spirit in the home. And that was really cool for me to see. So I got to see a lot of growth in my own kids for Sunday. So that was neat. That's cool. So uh, let's, I'll just do a final kind of wrap up question. Going off that, that, that thought there. Um, so we, I, I heard each of you in a way say that there are some definite benefits that you gathered by being at home with family during this coronavirus. Are there things that we have learned from that experience, which now that we're getting back into life, any thoughts that we can now say, oh, I, I learned this, I'm going to carry it with me now in this new world of post-coronavirus? Question makes sense? Any, any, any takers on that one? Sure, I'll... I'll jump in. Um, a couple, a couple of things, just uh, to sort of solidify what we've been talking about. How there are have been silver linings in some of this. Um, like Caroline said, you got your your girls home from BYU, and we had our two oldest come home. And there's a there's an age gap, right? So between like Preston and and Shepherd, there's an eight year gap. And while Preston was home, you know, Shepherd was the annoying little brother, right? And I think. Preston was surprised to come home and see this now high school student interacting with him in a completely different way. And uh, and I'm convinced that their relationship will forever be stronger because of this time that they had to really bond in, in new ways. And that just sort of reminded me of the importance of those family relationships. Um, and something else that I'll add, too, um, is through, through Come Follow Me, we're reading the Book of Mormon right now, and this week we're reading in Third Nephi, uh, and we have been reading about the events just before Christ came to visit the Nephites. And one thing that's, that I've really appreciated is reading the Book of Mormon through this COVID experience because 
as you read through the, the struggles um, and things that happened to the people in the Book of Mormon, it's really no different than what's going on now. Like Sister Stuckey mentioned, the people in the grocery store who don't seem happy, don't seem to be interacting with one another. And as you read the Book of Mormon, it'll say, okay, so there were the people in the church and they had these warm contentions between them or, you know, they just they just didn't get along. Or you, you just get a feel that they just weren't functioning as a as a cohesive society and and in a lot of ways we mirror that and as you you read that and then and then just prior to Christ's coming you see that they just sort of dismantle their government right and we see the issues with our government as well well the Nephites have to dismantle their government and they have to just go to tribes right now we're just organized by families and I just see wow this is a lot of parallels but what jumped out to me was that in the very same chapter like in the very next verse it says that Nephi raised his brother from the dead. And I thought, wow, that's quite a miracle that is taking place in the midst of all of this breakdown of society. And just to wrap it, you know, this will be my type. We talked about President Hinckley in this fireside we met at. Well, I did have the opportunity to ask him. And even back then, 30 years ago, I was like, I don't have any, I don't have any hope for bringing children into this world. It just seemed so dismal at that time as well. And uh, that was 30 years ago, you know, and it's worse now. But he said, you know, for everything that is happening that seems negative in the world, there are more miracles, and you have to look for those. And so just reading the Book of Mormon, I think no matter what happens, um, just will help us understand that that things have happened before and that the Lord is still in control and and that things that have been prophesied will still happen in their due time. Great. Thank you. Up miracles because we've we've talked with our kids about that through this whole process also if you look for them you will see them because because things happen every day that remind us that we're we're not here by chance there is a plan the Savior is directing the work and we just need to decide how we're going to be invested in it where where are we going to be you know how I mean, our, we have two missionaries out. This has been a challenging time for them to do missionary work. So I say, choose. How, how invested are you going to be in this? Be engaged in whatever you can do. Just, you, you, don't, you may be in your apartment 24-7, but you know, we need to choose where we're going to stand with the Savior. And, and I think that looking for those little miracles that you talked about and and having this time as as a family to really talk about where we are as a family and where our commitment is is a good jumping off place for our children as they grow that they can go okay we've done a hard thing and we grew closer to the savior through this process so we can do more hard things that's awesome great thank you i love what you guys were saying i think for our my home, I think that I would say um, I think it's a little easy sometimes to look at the negative sometimes, you know, and and get a little frustrated with things that you we wish we could change or maybe speed up or um, our normal life is not happening the way it should. And I think sometimes we can get a little negative and and not understand that it's it's like what you said, um, Sister Stuki, that find find the miracles. And I really believe that's the one thing I really want to press home with, with my own children is be grateful, be grateful, show gratitude and everything. Show gra- Be grateful for your teachers that are willing to go teach you. Be grateful for 
um, you know, if you do get a chance to go um, play sports and get a gym opened, be grateful for the simple little things that are that you now get to see in your life that maybe you didn't you took for granted. And I want I want I'm really stressing in our home to to approach every day the best that we possibly can. And it, it may look like a disaster and that's OK, but we're going to try to find um, just gratitude and just be grateful for those little miracles that we took for granted. Oh, thank you. Wow. You know, we could keep going, but I'm thinking of getting the signal. It's time to time to wrap it up. So it's been a, just a pleasure to, to be with you. Thank you for joining us in our podcast. Sister Stuckey, Sister Keller, Sister Bauer. Uh, we just, we, we hope that the listeners enjoyed uh, the time we've had together and we look forward to having more podcasts. We, what we want to do is have us all listen to one another and say, how can we grow closer? How can I, how can I be of one heart and one mind with, with people? And thanks for letting us get to know a little bit more about you so we can be more of one heart, one mind. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you and may the Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to One Heart, One Mind Nampa. Credit is given to Kim Keller, who oversees the podcast, both Lindy Bauer and Kim Keller, who are our hosts, Casey Maddox, the project director and announcer, and Rachel Bauer, who is our site director. Likewise, thanks also to Michelle Lundgren, our project manager, John Freeman, our communications coordinator, Jesus Gomez, the key grip and podcast editor, as well as Don Ricker, our digital platform manager. One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Kim Keller. Hello, I'm Kim Keller, and I'm the host of today's podcast for One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. We are lucky to be joined today by Warren Whittison, a World War II veteran. Warren, we're happy to have you here with us today on our podcast. Grateful to be here and appreciate the opportunity to share some things with you. Uh, we're blessed to have you here. T- tell me a little bit about you. Where are you from? What did you do in your life? A little bit about family. I grew up in Rexburg. I don't actually out in Hibbard, which is four miles out of Rexburg. And, uh, we had a little farm there and uh, then... Um, I might mention that I had quite an experience at a time or two. I've always felt that uh, I was fairly close to the spirit, but uh, I had a cousin and an uncle that I enjoyed going with. And one evening when I was out milking the cows, my mother came out and said, Warren Leland and Ralph are here, and they want you to go with them. And uh, ordinarily, I would have jumped at the chance, but I just felt that I shouldn't. I 
I said, well, Mother, tell them that I don't want to go tonight. I want to stay home. And uh, they, when they were coming home from their activities, they came around a bend and a trailer, a load of logs, had a blowout and and it was just sitting there and it was dark and a car came and the lights, uh, uh, they couldn't see it and they just ran into it and the logs came up over the hood and and they were both very seriously hurt and I always rode in the, the middle and uh, a log came through the windshield and went right out the back right where I would have been sitting. And uh, so I was grateful that the spirit kind of, I didn't realize that that's what it was, but I've recognized it since. I uh, went to school, uh, grade school, and uh, out to Hibbard, then high school in Madison High School. And when I graduated from high school, I turned 18, and that was the rule then that you register for the draft. And so I did that, and uh, right away I got notice that I was uh, classified as 1A, and... Uh, and that wasn't very long after that I received notice that I was supposed to appear for induction into the Army. My mother accused me of telling them I wanted to go and get it done. But anyway, uh, prior to that, when I was 17, I went to the Patriarch and got a patriarchal blessing. And it wasn't very long but very special, and right towards the end, the patriarch uh, said, Father, I offer a prayer in behalf of this young man. Well, thou bless him that when he goes into the service of his country, that he'll not see enemy action on the land or on the sea. And uh, so, um, I told my dad uh, he served in World War One in the Army and I just didn't want to have some of the experiences he had and so I asked him to go with me to the draft board and uh, uh, see if they would uh, uh, delay my induction and we did and they was gracious enough to give me a month extra. So I went down to Pocatello and enlisted in the Air Corps. And uh, of course thinking, boy, I would like to fly one of those fighter pilots, the fighter planes. But anyway, um, I was uh, supposed to uh, have until May before I would have to go. But uh, on Thanksgiving Day, uh, one of these registered letters came and said I was supposed to report to 
Fort Douglas uh, on the first day of December. And so uh, I went into the service, went down to Shepherdfield, Texas, Wichita Falls, and took my basic training. And then they informed us that they had all the pilots they wanted, but they needed gunners. And so I was sent to Kingman, Arizona, to take my gunnery uh, training, and then uh, from there uh, to Lincoln, Nebraska, where uh, it was kind of a, a depot where they uh, keep you until they uh, have a crew for you assigned. And so we were there about two weeks, and then I was assigned to a crew, and we got on the train and went to uh, uh, Alexander, Louisiana for our overseas training. Um, I didn't know any of the men that was to be on our crew, but they were all on that train. So we went back and forth looking until we finally got our crew together. And... Um, uh, then to Louisiana, we uh, did some flying uh, until in July. Um, we'd fly out over the uh, bay and had target practice. And uh, uh, I was in the ball turret. And uh, where's, where's the ball turret was that underneath, underneath the plane. And uh, I say it was the best seat in the house I could see everything uh, but uh, I was right close to where the action was too. Some of us don't know a whole bunch about uh, the type of weapons that you'd be using but are these big caliber? Uh, I have two fifty caliber machine guns hmm. one of them on each side of me right here. Wow. And uh, they made a lot of noise, but um, um, the ball turret, actually, um, you didn't get in it until you got up flying, and then you cranked it down so the guns were pointing straight down, and uh, then you opened the little door from up there and uh, slithered down in, and with your knees pulled up and and uh, buckled uh, uh, a strap across the back and pulled the door down and locked it and then you'd turn on the power and pull the handles and the, the guns would come up and you could go around and around with that turret but uh, if you had a plane come in say over here and you was tracking it down. You had to turn around, turn it around quick, before you could come up the other side. Wow! And it had some cams on it, so if I was tracking the plane, shooting came to where the propellers were, it stopped. It wouldn't let me fire to shoot off our propellers. So. Oh. 
<laughs> always wise. That's always a good design there. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I took my training in uh, Louisiana for overseas, and then uh, we were given seven days to go home and come back to Kearney, Nebraska, and pick up our new plane and had to, we flew from Kearney to Bangor, Maine, where we were outfitted, and and then we uh, uh, took off from there the next day, heading for Iceland. But um, we got up in the Labrador area, and storm came in, and so we landed up there and spent about a week with the Eskimos up there. Uh, the weather changed and then we went on up to Iceland landed there and stayed overnight and then flew uh, on into Scotland actually and we had some training there uh, one of my trainings was to be uh, night guard over the women whack area so that uh, None of the soldiers would come in. But it, uh, then we, from there, we were assigned to our bomb group. And we assigned the 390th bomb group. 390th bomb group. Now, if I remember right, were you with that group the whole, your whole uh, experience in the yes. war? Yes. And uh, I've spoken with you years past. You had quite a kinship within that group, right? Yes, we did. We We've had uh, reunions every year with our bomb group for so many years. We tell us how many oh, years. I think that you're you're not seventy one anymore, are you, Warren? Not quite, no. <laughs> um, but we um, until about five years ago, uh, we uh, had one every year. We'd go to, we even had one in Salt Lake, and um, they had special programs and things. Uh, one of the things that was interesting in Salt Lake, uh, we had two of our people die there while we was at the reunion, but there was one old gentleman that, um, um, well, to, we went to, uh, to, uh, Hillfield, uh, to the museum out there one day. Uh, this was in, like, October, and we had two busloads people, and we just, uh, pulled in there, and it started snowing. Great big flakes, and it came down heavy, and we sat there, and uh, it was just beautiful. And uh, then we uh, uh, went in and spent our time there. Um, we went out to the Kennecott Copper Mine one day, and then they took us around to... Salt Lake and uh, talked about us, uh, Salt Lake and the Mormon Church. And um, 
we had an appointment to go and watch the Tabernacle Choir uh, rehearse, we thought. And uh, we were supposed to be there at 7. And uh, then through communications, they, we were told that we, they wouldn't have us come anymore, or come at that to that activity. And uh, then we told them that we had had it for over a year. We had that reservation. And so finally they called back and said, yes, you could come, but it would be 8 o'clock instead of 7. And so uh, uh, we went to the, the tabernacle and uh, they had us a nice seat, two rows across, right about halfway down. And uh, uh, so we filled those up. And uh, then when the choir came out, it wasn't rehearsal. It was a, a real special program. And they were all dressed in their beautiful outfits and such. And so it started... And um, after they had sang two or three numbers, the announcer said, we have a special group here we'd like to recognize. He said, we have the, uh, the president of the Czech Republic and his cabinet all here. And they were sitting back there. And they had them stand and people clapped and and then they uh, played the Czech Republic number uh, anthem and one or two other things. And then they said, now we have some others that we would like to recognize that are visiting here. We are, uh, 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 we have the uh, members of the 390th bomb group uh, from World War II that are here visiting and had us stand and man, the people just, oh, they whistled and clapped and stood up and, and um, um, so I did. then they played the Battle Hymn of the Republic and the Air Force Hymn and several other things and, and um, so, uh, couple of months after that, uh, the uh, group, our uh, headquarters, 390th, got this letter from this lady, and she said uh, that her father, for the first time, was able to attend the reunion with his two sons. And... Uh, said he was so thrilled with what happened there. She said two things that uh, uh, really uh, pleased him was that when we went to Hillfield, we had it snow for him and he hadn't seen that before. And the other thing was when they went to the Tabernacle Choir broadcast that the Air Force got a standing ovation, and the Czech Republic didn't. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, but anyway, yeah, it was special. But in '87, when I went to uh, the reunion, we went to the reunion in Nashville. We had over 700 from our bomb group there, and then in uh, uh, see it was. Well, it's about five years ago when we had our last reunion in St. Louis. There were only 22 people from the actually members of the uh, my group. Uh, of course, there was a lot of descendants that come, but but they changed that there. Um, so that's that's a long time, but. Our our crew was made up with the, we just had such a special um, camaraderie with that you have the, the, the camaraderie is formed by just being in the situation that you're in together, right? But this Memphis, Memphis Bell movie, they portrayed there was a lot of, of bickering and things in the crew. But we never had anything like that. Our pilot and co-pilot were Catholics, and and uh, our uh, tail gunner was uh, uh, Baptist and different things. And uh, um, but we were were just real close, and uh, we. Uh, had our individual prayers. The pilot and co-pilot used the out with the rosary before we left. And, but uh, the guys, uh, they had such respect for me and I appreciated it. And, and uh, I loved them. Uh, Ask you another question, but before I do, um, whenever you hit your hands that on the table, it ends up going into the microphone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thank you. You bet. Um, so I'm going to ask. Oh, new question. So I've heard about Million Dollar Baby. What is Million Dollar Baby? Well, the each crew usually had a, a name for their plane and had it painted on it. So our plane was the Million Dollar Baby, and we had a picture of Betty Grable painted on it. <laughs> and uh, and Betty Grable, she was. This is for our younger people who don't know who Betty Grable is. Betty Grable was quite an actress. Yes. Way back then, and uh, had a very trim shape, and and. Uh, had quite a reputation. Somebody that a bunch of soldiers would want to see painted on the side of their airplane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little remembrance of America. <laughs> That's great. Mm -hmm. So why was that? Um, uh, let me back up. Different different question. So uh, I've heard about your story of the 26th mission. Uh, can you share that with us? We flew uh, 24 or 25 missions in our plane. Uh, it was a beautiful silver plane, and uh, uh, when we got over there, I had uh, 
taken a, one of these heavy fleece lined outfits and I cut that up and glued it around in my ball turret so was kind of cozy in a way and had all the controls the uh, uh, oxygen line and uh, uh, my uh, electricals and all extended so that uh, I could stand up in there and still be all hooked up at uh, um, we uh, enjoyed that plane we had some experiences with it uh, um, got a lot of holes in it sometime there was a time or two we had at least a hundred holes in it when we come back and <laughs> they had to patch them up but uh, uh, anyway uh, our 26th mission we were on the board to fly that mission and uh, when the orderly came in at three o'clock in the morning to wake us uh, they said you're not flying this new crew that just came in is going to fly your plane and in your slot and, and uh, so they did and uh, when they got over the target they had the Bombay doors open and they got a shell explode right in the Bombay and blew the plane up and they were all killed. The plane that you had been on 25 times mm -hmm. on the 26th mission and we would have destroyed. been there if we had. Oh my goodness. Change that. But um, anyway and then we got a an old clunker and and uh, uh, it flew pretty good. We flew ten more missions. How do you think? So let's go back. You talked about your patriarchal blessing when you were seventeen before you left. Um, how does that tie into your your experience? Well, I felt that I was really blessed. And uh, two or three ways, uh, uh, things, for instance, uh, I was woke up one morning and told that I was supposed to fly with another crew because their ball turret gunner was sick. And uh, I had a very strange feeling about that. I. I didn't feel good and I was really scared more than usual and and I prayed that things would be all right and if it wasn't to, to be that uh, the we, the mission wouldn't go and uh, so uh, we got all ready and they shot up a flare to start our engines and uh, we taxied out and just ready to take off down the runway and they shot up the big red flare that the mission had been canceled and so we didn't go and uh, um, 
I got hit in the back with a pretty good chunk of shrapnel from one of the shells, and it it hit the vault uh, hard enough that it uh, made a almost a dent right through, and then stopped and and uh, our crew uh, flew uh, well each one of them had a close call but we didn't have anyone that got wounded and uh, on the next to last mission we flew to Berlin where we lost 11 planes um, a fighter plane came up behind us and was shooting 20 millimeters in and they were bursting just out about that far from our side and yet he didn't hit us. Oh, man. And uh, uh, we just uh, had some Quite the experiences. We got two engines shot out over Germany, and uh, we uh, had to leave the formation, and we went down low to so we could uh, get better uh, volume to go. And uh, we had feathered those two engines, and uh, we uh, finally opened the the waste window and threw out our guns and ammunition and everything we could get rid of we did to lighten the plane and uh, we finally when we got over the channel um, the pilot said uh, he called up and said we're just about out of gas we've had to use extra to keep those two engines running and should we ditch in the channel and have them pick us up or should we try to get home and uh, of course we all said let's get a home and so we did and we came in over the white cliffs of Dover and down and uh, we didn't do our normal uh, approach we just come straight in and uh, we landed and uh, uh, by the time we got down to the end of the runway the engines started choking and we were out of gas wow hey um another question for you when you uh, well those of us who have not been in war situations uh we only see it romanticized or or shown really terribly uh, in in TV and movies and stuff. But there is something that it looks like when you're working together, though, as this team and this crew, that you you forge uh, bonds, you forge relationships. But I would think there's also a forging of the spirit of each individual that can come from that. What experiences from your uh, time in World War II shaped you for the rest of your your life. I felt that 
some of the experiences I've had uh, strengthened my testimony quite a <clears throat> bit to feel that uh, I really had the Holy Ghost uh, close by, that the Lord was watching over me, blessing me. And your um, life, I know, has blessed the lives of <clears throat> many others as you served for many years as a patriarch. Even in this stake, you were a patriarch. In a couple of different stakes, were you not? Even when I went over to Europe, I, uh, and uh, we were serving in Madrid, Spain, and uh, they, uh, our mission was supposed to be 18 months. And then they said, you know, we could sure use you. And we were glad they asked us because we had to come home. So we stayed another six months. And then I got a letter from Elder Packer telling me that they had reinstated me as a patriarch to give the Nigerians their patriarchal blessing. Oh, wow. We had a Nigerian branch and they uh, spoke English and uh, pretty good and didn't want their blessing in Spain, a Spanish. So uh, that was wonderful. We um, went in the morning on Sundays and met with the Spanish ward and Sister Whittison played the piano for the Relief Society in the primary and, and then we'd go home and get a sandwich and come back and meet with the Nigerians in the afternoon and uh, great experience. wonderful people had such strong testimonies and so Tell us, Warren, as we wrap up here, tell us um, when you have had these experiences in your life through being in war, serving in, in a church calling as a patriarch for many years, what advice do you have for those who are dealing with hard times or who are needing some hope? Uh, you've got wisdom. You're the one that we want to come to now. Share with us some thoughts and some wisdom on people who are needing a little bit of hope, having a lifetime of experience that you've had. I feel that young people should uh, be uh, choosing their associates um, so that they have good companions that can strengthen them, and yet... Uh, not forget or, or not uh, watch for the opportunities that can come for them to reach out and uh, uh, touch those that are not members of our church. Um, when I was um, in basic training down at Shepherd Field, we were out on bivouac and we were living in a tent and it was raining and mud and such. And, and I, I got acquainted with a young man and he came in to our tent and 
was talking to me and a uh, uh, question came up about uh, religion and I had uh, a copy of the Hanson or Improvement Era, whatever it was then, and uh, it had been sent to me and I said, um, well, if you're interested, there's sure some good articles in this magazine to read. And boy, he jumped on it and took it. And um, I think I was influenced uh, to some of the members of our crew. I know that uh, one, our tail gunner from Texas had uh, smoked for ever since he said he was in the eighth grade in school and he quit. Uh, and uh, our uh, navigator from New York, um, he uh, really uh, seemed to feel close uh, to me and uh, he... Uh, and his family came out to visit after we'd been home from the service for a little bit. He had small children, and uh, his wife was supposed to go to uh, a special school in Rock Springs. Uh, she was the home ec teacher, and they were having some special things there. So uh, they came to visit. We didn't have much room in the little house we lived in, but my folks did. And so they went out and stayed with my folks and, and knelt and have prayer with them and such. And then they said, uh, well, we need to go, but we want to go to Salt Lake and hear the Tabernacle Choir, which they did. And... Uh, when we had our first reunion back in St. Louis, just the crew, uh, they came and uh, the Saturday uh, evening, we were downstairs, such uh, as and I, and uh, they came in, uh, Howard and his wife, and and uh, he said, what's up? And I said, well, we're just trying to find a place to go to church tomorrow. And he said, well, let us go with you. We want to go with you. So they they did. But uh, one thing that started right then uh, in that reunion, when we met Saturday morning for the first time, we were there to have breakfast together. And uh, Howard was kind of in charge and he said, before we eat, let's have one offer a word of prayer, a blessing on the food. And uh, from there on, every reunion we had as a crew, Warren, would you offer prayer for us? Right. And uh, I was grateful for that, but I think as as young people, I look back and I probably missed 
some special opportunities that I could have had uh, some uh, success in talking to people uh, about the church, and uh, I wished I'd done more. But the uh, example and influence helps to create uh, that relationship. Well, thank you. We appreciate your time, Warren. What amazing life experiences you have had in your 71. Is it 71? How old are you again, Warren? 95. 95 years. We are blessed, so blessed to have you here and to be able to share your stories. Not many left to share those stories with us, are there? No. Um, about the eighth or ninth mission we flew, uh, the Germans had the Polish people surrounded, cut off from anything, and and they were destitute for medical supplies and other things. And, and uh, they called for help. And the British said, well, we can't, we can't help them. And, and the Russians were sitting over there on the border and they weren't going to help them. And so our crew, our bomb group, got the orders to take these supplies. And so we loaded up all our bombers with uh, these tubes of various supplies and uh, in our bomb bays and uh, we flew over and uh, to uh, Warsaw, Poland and we were supposed to go in at 18,000 feet uh, so the tanks, German tanks couldn't hit us but when we got there there was a really a big cloud front and you can't fly through the clouds in formation or you'd uh, lose some planes. And so we tried to go over it and we couldn't get up above it. So we went under and we were at 16,000 feet. And we dropped our supplies, but the Germans shot two of our planes down with their tanks. Then we went on over to Russia and landed down below Moscow and there was uh, just uh, one of those steel uh, runways mats. And uh, uh, so we landed on that and when we'd slow down, we'd just go out and park in the sagebrush and, and uh, we stayed there overnight. We slept in our planes, and and uh, there was some Russian ladies that, out there that had uh, some big pots of stew on a fire that they built, and they fed us. The next day, we got a, a load of Russian bombs and went from there down to Budapest, Hungary, and bombed the railroad yards there. And then we went on down to Foggy, Italy, and stayed there for five days. And and then we flew back up over France, back to England. When you got an airplane, you didn't go anywhere. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, I might tell you that while we was coming back, the pilot called me up to the cockpit. And 
I got up there and he climbed out of his seat and he said, here, take over. And uh, uh, I'd never flown a plane before and I get to hold and I was rocking back forth, but I can truly say that I flew a B-17 over Paris. Awesome. That's great. So, Well, we're so, so grateful for your life and your experiences and the example that you've been for so many people. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast, Warren. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you, and may the Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. Our hosts are the amazing overseer Kim Keller and lovely Lindy Bauer. President Keller's right arm is our project director and podcast announcer Casey Maddox. Our front line is the ever-ready Rachel Bauer to direct the site recording. A big thanks to Michelle Lundgren, who is the backbone project manager who keeps us all together. Our contact man to coordinate communications is John Freeman. Our technical life is given by Jesus Gomez, the key grip and podcast editor, and Don Ricker, the digital platform manager. Not to mention, they both provided plenty of behind-the-scenes good humor for our happiness.